something happened in in the midst of this culture. What you're describing, your experience, is all of a sudden now. And it's an intentional Welcome to Faith in the Folds, a podcast for ministry and biblical studies and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today we have a special episode, a 2023 Harding Anniversary Centennial Lectureship Recap with two of my good friends, Luke Dockery and John David Alston. Luke, welcome back to the podcast, sir. How are you today? Good, Kevin. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's good to be here with uh, two friends and talk about lectureship that we were at last week. Yeah, yeah. JD, welcome to Faith in the Folds. This is a, I know this is an absolute highlight to you said, but in your interview for the youth ministry job down here, man, I hope someday I'll get into Faith in the Folds. And here you are only months in. You've been here shorter than our preacher, and you've already gotten into an episode of Faith in the Folds. Tell us how excited you are to be here today. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I don't remember wording it exactly like that in my interview. But I am excited to be here up on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to talk about lectureship uh, being the first time coming as a minister and not just there as a student. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's one thing that we mentioned uh, on our drive back home was uh, how it, it feels a little different to no longer be an undergraduate student, but actually to be a graduate student when you uh, when you go to lectureship. We'll talk about that in a little bit. One of the things that I uh, wanted to mention or wanted to talk with you all about today is just, you know, what are some big takeaways that you got from uh, from the Centennial Lectureship at Harding University last week? It was um, it was a great time. They had a pretty good attendance. Um, you know, just a lot of great sessions and uh, and dynamic and interesting speakers. I know I always have a good time going. I am uh, I'm very much an extrovert. Uh, my friend Luke is a self-described introvert. I think specifically I've heard him say, I don't like people. Uh, or maybe I'm misquoting. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's it's possible that I said that at some point. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love people um, in the abstract. And uh, or actually, I, I love people individually. Sometimes in the abstract, it's uh, challenging. But uh, It's harder in the abstract. The, uh, the, the whole just tons of people that you're reconnecting with and having small talk with over and over and over again is is not my ideal way to spend a week but it's still fun to 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 be there and to see old friends um even if i'm exhausted after the afterwards yeah yeah and um i don't know uh, i don't know if you're like me but afterwards it's i've been talking so much it's almost like i'm a little uh like a little sick or got a little tickle in the back of my throat. You know, it, it could be just all the close quarters. But anyway, guys, uh, what is the benefit of going to something like lectureship in the first place? Why even go? And this is kind of a plug for people who should go next year. Um, what's uh, what's the benefit? Why why do something like this? Well, um, I guess I'll go first. Uh I think in many ways, lectureship is like any other sort of conference that people kind of go to in professional settings, or usually it's kind of a combination of there's some sort of um, training or continuing education that you're hoping to receive there. Um, 
but then there's also like a networking component, um, making contacts with people or just seeing people that, that you know from the past. Um, I know from Harding's perspective, lectureship is very intentionally supposed to be for the churches. It's it's like a gift to the churches to, to put this on. And, um, <clears throat> you know, all three of us have had benefit of uh, training, uh, biblical training in, in college settings and um, in graduate settings. Kevin, you've done your PhD. Um, and so we've been really blessed to, to get to study scripture and theology and ministry in contexts like that. Um, a lot of people don't get that. Um, or even if they've had it in the past, like they don't get that regularly. And so lectureship can become an, uh, a place where you can come and get some specialized training, obviously in a, a less formal setting than, than school, but still you can pick up some good material, um, some new ideas that you can go back to your congregation and uh, hopefully that that can be a blessing. Um, I mean, Kevin, you, you actually spoke this past week at the preacher's workshop. Mm -hmm. So you did three sessions on Colossians, which is basically just like a verbal commentary of the whole book. Um, Matt Love, uh, did three sessions kind of on the, on the task of preaching. And so, you know, there were like 170 or so people in those sessions and some of them were like me, I'm not a preacher, but you know, there were dozens and dozens of preachers there. And I can just imagine uh, how many preachers, how many churches will hear lessons on Colossians over the next year or so based on material that they were able to get from those sessions um, and inspiration they were able to get um, as, as Matt kind of walked through different roles that the, the preacher has. So that's just one example. Yeah. I think there were 19 different workshops or tracks at lectureship this year, but one of them was a preaching. Um, and so, you know, that's a, it's a form of equipping for the, the people who come. And then also just getting to see um, other people, getting to meet new people. And I don't so much mean networking from the standpoint of, you know, career advancement or something like that. But the reality is ministry can be tough. And a benefit of lectureship is that you kind of get to spend time with other people who are, um, in the trenches, so to speak, and are sometimes struggling with some of the same issues, um, facing the same questions, and it can be really encouraging uh, if you're someone who's kind of isolated in ministry to come and see lots of old friends and new friends, and uh, you know just be encouraged by the fact that you're kind of sharing this task together and facing a lot of the same issues. Yeah. So, it, Luke, you've been in ministry for thirteen. 17 years somewhere in there uh 17 13 at one church uh my previous congregation four years now um at this church so 17 in total so it's it's wild to think that some of the students that we ran into uh, this past week at lectureship they were born right around the time that you were starting in ministry uh john david by the way who is a ripe old age of 24 uh, this is your first time going to lectureship as a minister. Why even bother going to something like this if you live closer to Mexico than you do to Harding? <laughs> Which is, for those of you who don't know Corpus Christi, we're halfway between Houston and Mexico. Why even bother going to something like this? Is it is it worth the, the long trek up there? I would say it's 100% worth the trek. Uh, I feel like I almost have kind of a unique situation where, like, it's almost a homecoming for me because I can go back to Arkansas and see not just friends, but also family there in Searcy. 
but then also killed two birds with one stone and get to catch some awesome lectures. I think a big reason for me is it's definitely networking. Uh, I mean, getting to see old professors and be able to talk to them now as like a peer and not just as a, 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 a student. Um, so that's good and getting to see them, but also guys and gals that I graduated undergrad with get to talk with them and lectureship is among the only time maybe if we maybe send a few texts throughout the uh, year but lectureship is a time that I get to see them face to face and I had some great conversations on a like Tuesday night at the Bible alum reception mm -hmm. some of my friends that are now in ministry and are in California so even further away from from Cersei than I am um, but get to talk to them about hey how's it going how's your ministry How's the church that you're at? What's it looking like? And use that as a time to, to recognize we're not alone in this, kind of like what uh, Luke was saying, but also like bounce ideas off of each other, figure out, hey, what's working for your youth group? What's working with our youth group? Um, yeah. But also make plans for the future. Like a couple of guys that like I graduated with who are now in Texas uh, getting to talk with them and make uh, plans and, and be able to do that face to face and see them. I mean, that's, that's something that is undoubtedly helpful um, and much easier to do in person than over the phone or over text. Something else that was pretty nice is, you know, just the benefit of being on a college campus and something that I was able to do while I was there is start recruiting for our uh, internship program that we're going to have or that we have set up, but then also this upcoming summer just finding some interns that want to come down to Corpus and get some ex real world uh, experience in youth ministry. So I was able to do that while we were there and it's hard to do that. There's not a lot of other excuses someone can come up with uh, to be on a college campus and look for interns besides lectureship or other conferences uh, like lectureship. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have both mentioned networking. Um, and Luke, you said specifically not necessarily for like career advancement or like change a job or anything like that, but just networking. And part of what is helpful for networking is knowing that uh, that you are not isolated as a minister. Um, help me dig into that just for a second. Uh, why can, for those who don't know, ministry can feel very isolating. Why is that the case? I mean, we all experience that. But why is that the case? Why do you think? That's a good question. Um, That's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there are several reasons uh, that, that that can be true. Um, sometimes like, I actually I don't feel that in my own situation because I work at a church with a staff of multiple ministers. I work in a town where uh you know, there's like seven or eight of us who are youth ministers and churches of Christ in Cersei and the immediate surrounding area. We get together and we plan things together. Um, so I'm, I'm just very aware that there's other people that I know and interact with regularly who who get it, um, who are aware of the challenges and, and are struggling with a lot of the same things that I'm struggling with. Um, <clears throat> but that could be different um, if you're from a different part of the country. Um, Perhaps at a smaller congregation where you're the you're the guy you're the only person on staff. Um, perhaps the, the nearest Church of Christ is you know forty five minutes or an hour plus away. Um, I mean I've I've spoken to preacher groups before that were 
you know, for an entire state or regional, and there's half a dozen guys because in the, in the northeast or, uh, you know, Midwest to the you went up to Montana North, uh, within the last year or two and spoke to a group. Yeah, like a couple that, years right? ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so the reality is, in, in Churches of Christ, we are predominantly Southern fellowship, mm-hmm. um, in and around the Bible Belt. And so, I mean, even I think even in y'all's context down. Uh, in Corpus, it's a little bit different from either of the places in which you grew up. Yeah, and so it's um, it can be isolating in that sense, if because you know it's like there's just not a lot of other people in your shoes if you if you're not close if you don't have close geographical proximity to them. So again, that's not necessarily my take, um, but it, but it is I think the perspective of a lot of people, and so it's nice to kind of come back. And another thing. Uh, on your podcast, Kevin, you've talked about things like minister shortages and and uh, ministers leaving ministry. Um, and it seems to me every, well, I was going to say every day, that's exaggeration, but frequently it's like I'll hear of some other colleague that I've had in ministry who is stepping out of that to do something else. And it can be really encouraging when you just come, when you come to something like lectureship and you run into someone who's still doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, who who hasn't um given up. And I'm not I'm not saying anything negative about people who for one reason or another decide to leave ministry. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it can be really encouraging. In fact, I had a conversation with a guy who said that exact same thing to me. He said, I'm just I'm so glad that you're still doing it. Like I'm it, it, it makes me feel good every time I see someone who's still doing ministry after all these years. Yeah. Um so yeah, so I think that's I think that's certainly part of it. Um a lot of the isolation uh can be just there's not a lot of people around you who kind of know what it's like to to wear the shoes of a minister whether that's youth ministry like uh john david and i or uh preaching or discipleship ministry like you or, or whatever the case may be yeah one thing that i've noticed too is that you know it it's nice to be in a room full of people like for example you mentioned the preacher's workshop that matt love and i did on monday of lectureship uh, there was one time where I mentioned specifically where there in Colossians, it, it seems like Paul might be expressing some degree of isolation. Like he, maybe he's feeling it. You know, he, he's got a team with him there. He mentions that in Colossians four, but you know, it, it it's not the same. You know, he is he is imprisoned, and um, I I just mentioned very very plainly for the audience. I don't have to tell a room full of preachers what it's like to feel isolated. Yeah, there's uh, there's something about ministry where. You know, when you're the minister, which uh, means like you have all the responsibilities and the way it has often worked out in our fellowship, you have all the responsibilities and yet none of the none of the authority, right to to do the kinds of things that say elders are able to do. Um, it, it can put you in kind of a weird spot to where you are, you know, you're, it, it, you can be told, all right, we want you to do this. We want you to go in this direction. And so you feel heat from on top, so to speak, and then you know you feel heat from other people who are unhappy because you're the face, right? You're the public face of of the church because you're the one that does most of the speaking. You're the one that people know, especially in the smaller congregation. Um, and that's not to complain about about ministry, but just to state a fact of how it goes for a lot of people. I would imagine even in youth ministry to, is that is that way to some degree as well because you know. As the face of whatever ministry you're running, you know, you're the one that naturally receives a lot of the criticism, and hopefully, you know, you receive a lot of encouragement as well too. 
And so just knowing that you're in a room full of people who get it, you know, it's like somebody who went to school with you. You know, I I love, I love being able to connect with guys from HST because like I know, you know, when we were wanting to hire a youth minister, I I hunted, you know, if they weren't involved in some kind of further education, yeah, that wasn't like that was not entirely a deal breaker. But if they were, I wanted to know. It's like, all right, if this guy goes to HST, I know what kind of training he's getting, and I'm really interested in that. Thankfully, we've got got John David here. Um, but yeah, just that that can be that can be a real problem. Um, you know, you also mentioned networking too. Oh, JD, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say you also wanted to make sure that they they knew how to throw a frisbee was another <laughs> qualification for you were looking at. That was well, absolutely and... true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, something that I was I was thinking of, like going off of what both of y'all said, like I think of it as, you know, this is my first like full-time ministry job. And the vast majority of my ministry experience before this was either at my home congregation where I grew up or in Searcy or just in Arkansas in general. And so I think of a lot of the guys that like I look up to as as mentors and as as people who are like helping me out and people I can like lean back and rely on like moving 12 hours or 10 and a half hours down South and just not being within like travel distance of going to be able to talk to those guys. Like, but now because of things like lectureship, I can see all of them. Um, and I can, I can get to talk with them. And even if they're not at lectureship, I'm there and, and like I go back to my unique experience of being from Arkansas. I can, they traveled into Circe to come and see me and I get those relationships still even through that. And then Luke, like what you were saying, um, someone coming up to you and saying like, man, it makes me glad to see you're still in this. Uh, kind of had the same experience where uh, Kevin and I saw an old Frisbee guy who's a youth minister. Um, and he told us that he's been doing this like for 10 years, like he hasn't missed a lectureship in 10 years. And just seeing that is is awesome. Um, and it, like encouragement for someone who's like just now getting into it, that even after a decade uh, worth of, of experience, like this is still something important to them, whether it be the classes or lectures that they go to and they're able to take away valuable information like the preacher's workshop, or it just be, getting up to catch up with old friends who are are still at it i mean that's 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 definitely that in and of itself makes it makes it worth the trip yeah was that trenton who we saw yeah yeah shout out to uh to the other to you might think uh terrell owens but uh shout out to trenton osborne <laughs> sticking it out uh in in ministry yeah all right, some yeah. lectureship highlights, uh, Luke. I know we talked throughout the week. JD, we had uh, we had a long car ride, <laughs> twelve hours from from Cersei <laughs> down to Corpus Christi. Uh, Luke, tell us some of your highlights of of lectureship, the kinds of things that actually get you get you back uh, back there in Cersei. I mean, well, let's back in Cersei, down the street, down the street. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> not hard for me to find myself in Cersei these days. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I I'd never been to the preacher's workshop before. <clears throat> I went to that largely because you and Matt were speaking, and I enjoyed that. Um, I was telling someone one of the things I miss about um, grad school is being able to uh, kind of like study scripture like 
a fire hydrant. I mean, just like a whole lot of stuff at a time, like intensive courses. And I kind of <laughs> felt that flashback to that. I, I know that I know that you really felt <clears throat> crunch for time with how much material you had to share, but I, I enjoy that. It's fun for me. So I enjoyed that. Um, uh, one of the best sessions I heard uh, was from Steve Clower. Um, and he, he did an outstanding job doing a keynote, but actually his his session the next day, he was talking about, uh, the, the spiritual, but not religious. Yeah. Um, and the way that he kind of broke down that crowd, um, based on a, a, a book that he was referencing, but, uh, we, we all know that there's this, um, reality where we are becoming an increasingly post-Christian society. And fewer and fewer people are identifying as Christian. Um, but I think it can be easy for us to like take that bit of information and make the logical make this leap that, oh, like there's actually a ton of people in this country who are atheist agnostic, and those numbers are are highly on the rise. And uh, Steve shared you know data that that's really not the case. We have about six percent atheist. Yeah. It's about six percent agnostic. And those categories remain remarkably. Uh, static it's really not changing but it was over seeing... uh, like over a decade those numbers had yeah. not changed yeah. significantly uh, yeah, I, right. I wanted to get steve on the podcast to talk about that kind of thing but yeah i was surprised i thought surely surely it's more than that but yeah you're right yeah and so in, instead a lot of these people that are uh kind of checking out of traditional church are either in uh, the I like Jesus, but not the church crowd. And there's kind of different reasons for that. But these are people who are pretty open to spiritual conversations, but mm -hmm. for one reason or another have become uh, disconnected from local churches. And then there's also kind of the uh, that nothing in particular, if you imagine like checking a survey, like what's, what's your religion? Nothing in particular. Yeah. And a lot of times, again, these these are people who maybe are less churched than the I like Jesus, but not the church crowd. Um but are usually fairly open to spiritual perspectives. Maybe you maybe don't have a lot of Christian baggage. Like they might not have much Christian past at all. And basically the takeaway from this, which was quite hopeful from Steve is um, these are the groups that are actually growing and they're actually potentially a pretty fertile ground for conversation about faith and evangelism and discipleship. And so um it can be easy to hear, oh, post-Christian America, and that become a fearful thing. But I, I really felt that Steve's presentation made it kind of a hopeful thing. Yeah, because um, most most of these folks are are people who were not, uh, you know, too far gone or highly resistant to conversations about faith. Yeah, um, I I can't remember whose lecture it was, but I I want to say it was maybe in one of the keynotes, um, where someone is indicating that, you know the way that culture is going now what we will start seeing more of is people who have had some prior exposure to christianity and have rejected that rather than people who are just unfamiliar with christianity and i believe the speaker was saying that that might actually uh, create more resistance to spreading and sharing the gospel um i i can't remember who who said that but I think Steve's point kind of balances that out where if there is this growing group of folks who are relatively unchurched, I would think that that means that they have not had any significant prior exposure to Christianity. So maybe the Christianity that they're rejecting is 
you know, the the kind of the three of us would say, yeah, that's not that's not where we are either. Um, I I don't know, Luke. Do you remember that one? Uh, yeah, I think I think maybe it might have been one of Matt Love's presentations. I think he had a quote from Leslie Newbegin, um, where he was talking about some of that. Yeah, that that um, sounds right. But I I do think. <clears throat> Um, I, I think what we're finding ourselves in are a lot of people what they what they're walking away from is not really historic Christianity and like a deep understanding of like this is what Christians have believed for two thousand years. We don't we don't buy this anymore and we're leaving that behind. But instead, a lot of them are walking away kind of from like some kind of mixture of like cultural Christianity and like civic religion and you know yeah. kind of like moral moralism. Um, and so I, I do think there might be some extra work there, but I think it's an opportunity to also kind of distinguish between, well, like you say that this is the faith that you're walking away from. Well, I would have walked away from that too. Here, here's what I actually believe and what, mm -hmm. I, what, I, what I think that Christians have believed for a long time. So all that to say, uh, Steve's, Steve's presentation was really helpful. Um, I also went to, uh, on Tuesday afternoon, a three-part um, track on disciple-making with um i might not get his last name right because it is long and i think dutch in origin uh paul hugo bart um but he did some some really good stuff where he kind of talked about uh place it like uh, what is disciple making why do we need it um now and what are some characteristics of places uh disciple making movements where where it's actually um being very successful what are some characteristics that we see in those movements um that could help us maybe think about our own contexts yeah um so that was some really helpful stuff um some information i was familiar with but a lot of new information so yeah for me those Great. were some highlights nice jd what about you man yeah i i definitely didn't catch as many lectures as i wanted to um but the ones that I did catch, I really enjoyed. I got the morning sessions of the Neller workshop, which I had been excited about the preacher's workshop since the preacher's conference back in February. And I know Devin always puts on uh, a good workshop and then you and Matt did a great job. And just being able to use that time to, to dive deeper into the text. Those are always, even as an undergrad, those were always the classes that I thoroughly looked forward to. Uh, the ones who took a deep dive was more exegetical in nature rather than pastoral or some other kind of track. Um, so I thoroughly enjoyed diving into Colossians. And I we talked about this a little bit um, on the drive back. Colossians 3 has always been among my like favorite chapters in the Bible, just setting your mind on Christ and and recognizing the change from what you're doing now and what you were doing then. Uh, so I thoroughly enjoyed the preacher's workshop, being able to take that information back here. And I know at some point, the youth group at King's Crossing and I will definitely be diving into Colossians and some of Paul's letters. And yes. so anything anything that I can take away and dive into the, the exegesis of that is definitely something that I look forward to. Um, one of the other lectures that I caught that I was actually very, very interested in was doc, one of uh, Dr. Manners. And he was, it, it was not quite a Colossians uh, um, lecture. He was actually diving into like the the archaeology and the history of like Pergamum. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I went and I sat in on that for a little bit and it was just so interesting. And he was like 
comparing like just hearing him listen hearing him talk about it and comparing the actual world of what's going on in like a city like Pergamum with its hundreds of different of temples from hundreds of different different gods and stuff and comparing that to like kind of what we see Paul talk about but also mainly uh like John's letter in Revelation to Pergamum and just and then comparing that to the church in that time period and it put, it brings a whole new perspective because we read Paul's letters or we read uh, the John's letters in Revelation um, or Jesus' letters in Revelation and, and we think about it like yeah we know they're dealing with hard stuff we know they're dealing with like paganism and dealing with all these different things but to actually put it in like a real context of man they've got like 40 temples to 40 different gods doing 40 different things right down the road from where their church is puts that in a whole new perspective that we don't really have in today's world uh from my apartment to uh, king crossing i pass five churches uh I, th I think that's right or maybe i'm just thinking of all the different churches on yorktown which is where, where our church is located <laughs> oh, i know i pass at least two baptist church a non-denom and a catholic church um that is called John the Baptist Catholic Church. There's I love calling Methodist that the Church. super church, um, a Methodist church. Um, and that's before you get to King's Crossing. So that's five. And churches. that's before King's Crossing. <laughs> and then there's at least two more there. I know there's one across from where y'all are uh, off of Yorktown. Maybe there's one more over there. And sure, they're different denominations. Sure, we have different worship, uh, orders of worship and stuff like that. But lord willing we all believe in jesus christ hmm. and his death and resurrection so we're not competing with each other in that regards we're not advocating other gods yeah. in that regards whereas back in pergamum like that's not at all what they were dealing with they weren't sure they were dealing with maybe a little bit different of views of who jesus was but they're also dealing with views of well, no, we follow Zeus. No, we follow Athena. No, we follow and fill in the blank of whatever Greek god it is. So, hearing Dr. Manor, obviously a, a very well-known archaeologist, just hearing him talk about that and and bring like real life facts of what what they have found today, and that was, you know, it brings a whole new context uh, to these passages then than what we get from just reading the words. Um, another lecture that I got to catch was from one of my best friends, uh, Shane. He and Elijah Swindle uh, co-teamed uh, Colossians 3 all the way through 4-6. And I knew they would do a good like um, breakdown of the text as well as pastoral. And so that, that was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to catch it. But I made, uh, I made jokes with Shane about they gave the hardest text to uh, a youth minister and having to talk about the household codes in Colossians 3. Yeah. But I really love the way that Shane uh, broke it down and bringing everything back to like do as Christ would do. I mean, the whole chapter starts out with, since you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on where Christ is above next to god and relating that to the household codes and 
Paul isn't breaking grounds with how we should be acting. He is simply showing all these different groups of people, whether it be fathers or husbands or wives or masters or slaves, all of these things are just in and of themselves examples of how Christ would be acting. And so what I loved that he did was he went case by case, husbands, fathers, wives, and he did Christ as this, Christ as son, Christ as father, Christ as husband, Christ as wife. Yeah. And he pulled in, um, he talking about equal relationships and he pulled in Philippians two, which I was, I just thought an amazing, uh, correlation, you know, Jesus, not finding being equal with God as something to be grasped. And so he humbled himself. And so it just, I love the way he did it. I made fun of him. I told him that he, uh, he dodged the question of submission afterwards, but that's okay. <laughs> because I thought he did a really good job explaining what he was trying to get across. Uh, so just hearing hearing like him shed light on that argument uh, in a different way that I hadn't really heard before um, was 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 really good to catch that and that was the last lecture of lectureship that was, that was four o'clock Wednesdays so, Man, yeah. Um, yeah but but that was good I I enjoyed all of those yeah I really liked Matt's sessions in the preacher workshop I mean of course I enjoyed getting to do mine on Colossians. Um, I think Matt said that it was like uh, listening to a commentary on audio book, which, which I, I felt like that was the assignment, right? So that's what I went for. But uh, Matt's, Matt's first session there, um, yeah, where he and I were tag teaming those, uh, those sections, um, I went into it thinking, okay, Matt is going to show here, – here's a funny story how to like illustrate some point in Colossians 1 or like – Here's some poignant anecdote or something like that. And that's not at all what Matt did. What Matt did was he he posed this question, like, what's the what's the rhetorical feature of uh, a rhetorical function of this passage? And how, therefore, can we model that in our preaching? And so he had this great clip of a preacher who, who was not preaching on Colossians, but Matt's point was, you know, there in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, uh, you know, there's one of the highest statements of Christology in the New Testament where, uh, you know, it, it's it's like a, a statement of praise uh, almost. Um, and, and there's some other sections in there, too, uh, that particularly are, are you know, offering praise in there in chapter one. So Matt showed us this clip or played for this, this clip of a preacher who whose uh, sermon was so moving that it, it sounded like it was worship, worship in and of itself. You know, it sounded like the preacher was worshiping. And Matt's point was, you know, could, can the people in our congregation tell that we are worshiping when we're preaching? You know, if the, if the passage that uh, you've got on hand is a, a passage of, uh, of admonition and warning, then let your sermon lean toward, or you know, lean toward that. If your passage is towards, you know, is uh, is geared more towards encouragement or teaching, something along those lines. You know, let the text kind of guide you and model you model that way. Um, I, I mentioned it in my very first session. I don't love preaching. Um, I, I don't specifically. I don't think I'm great at it. Partly because I don't have a lot of like funny stories. You know, <laughs> like I just I don't think that I've got you know all these great poignant little you know, anecdotes and, uh, you know, 
poems and everything else that you know that preachers have that they just you know they just have you know 30 years worth of stories where every random trip down to you know mcdonald's is a hilarious adventure or they you know <laughs> end up baptizing somebody in the fountain out front i just like i don't have all that you know but as i was listening to matt i i remember for the first time in a long time getting excited about man i got i've actually got something really serious here that i could that could help me preach this more effectively and so that that, that was that was pretty neat um we mentioned uh, steve clover's uh, lecture earlier bob turner matt uh, bob turner and Juan Mesa did a great job. A couple of guys I know pretty well at the White Station Church of Christ in Memphis. They uh, they talked about how their um, you know, their church's multicultural ministry and uh, didn't necessarily give uh, give a list of do's and don'ts, but it gave us some things to think about and how to how to actually approach that kind of ministry effectively, rather than having you know, just your 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 predominant culture church, uh, which in their context is a predominantly Anglo church, and then having a an iglesia attached to it, not unlike uh, something that you've talked about before, Luke, with your one at one eared Mickey Mouse, where a lot of you have like the main body of the church, right, and then on top, <laughs> somewhat connected to that, you have your youth ministry. Um, one time I was explaining that model to John David. And uh, I mentioned the one-eared Mickey Mouse, and I pointed over to the whiteboard in our office. However, our preacher was standing next to the whiteboard, and our preacher is deaf in one ear. And so John David thought that I was talking about our preacher. <laughs> and then, later on in the afternoon, he asked me about it, and I was like, no, no, no. I wasn't burning on Nathan. I was, I was talking about this model for youth ministry. That is unhealthy. <laughs> so, Nathan, if you're listening to this, um, I love you, man. <laughs> we'll get you on the podcast soon, okay? <laughs> but the the trouble with doing you know, like an Anglo church and then a, the Neglacia is like you, you don't technically have one church, right? You've got two. And so they were they were showing how they have tried and you know sometimes more successfully, sometimes less successfully to actually work through that. But the way that Juan and Bob modeled that mutual love and respect and admiration for each other, I thought was really admirable. And I, I really appreciated that. Um, guys, as we wrap up, what, uh, what's something, uh, something really, other than all the lectures and things that we've talked about, what's something uh, really meaningful that you plan to take from lectureship and uh, begin incorporating into your preaching and teaching and your classes coming up? Um. <clears throat> I think one thing I would say, and this is maybe not so much my preaching and teaching, but some of uh, just my practice of ministry. I went to a youth ministry lecture where I was just given some good reminders of kind of some basic things that, yeah, I know, but you can still kind of get away from at times. And so just some some wise practices in terms of uh, trying to partner with parents um, and uh, and things like that. And then also I mentioned earlier the disciple making session and um, <clears throat> one of the principle number one of places where disciple making is happening and we're actually seeing like people becoming Christian um, <clears throat> largely in the global South actually, but all of these places, one thing they had in common was a deep reliance on the Holy spirit um, as evidenced in extended periods of prayer and fasting. Mm. Um, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think 
a reason why we struggle with a lot of this in North American churches is because we don't do those things, or at least we don't do them well. Um, con- on a congregational level, we don't we don't pray a lot together. We don't fast well or frequently or maybe ever. Um, and so just a conviction of, okay, like I'm in a, in, in an established pretty healthy church, but, but being honest, like that's not a significant part of our DNA. And so what would, what might it look like to, uh, try to help bring about change within our culture, um, where this just becomes a part of who we are, not, not even as a means to some other end, but just because like, we want to be, we want to be like biblical. We want to be like the church that Jesus and his apostles set up and, this was a, a, a huge part of what they did, and uh, that's not something that that we do so much. So I, I was deeply convicted about that, and um, yeah, looking forward. That's something that I want to see how we can incorporate that into our uh, communal practices at Cloverdale. Yeah, I have noticed in um, really in in my own life that if there's something that I'm either struggling with or something that is kind of stressing me out. Or you know, just it's something where you know, like I'm anxious, you know, it, I, you know what I mean. Um, at some point, it'll hit me. It's like, man, I haven't prayed very much about this. No wonder I'm feeling anxious about this, right? And and it's not as if, okay, I've prayed once and boom, I'm good to go, right? There's, <laughs> you know, it's blue skies and rainbows after that. And that's not the case, but it's the it's the assurance to me that. I have, I have, you know, kind of retrained myself to turn over these important things to God and to relearn uh, trust and faithfulness in, uh, in those, in those moments. And it's hard. Um, I shared that to quote that George MacDonald quote um, in my last section, a session on Colossians where you know, George MacDonald is in, uh, you know, for, for those who aren't familiar, George MacDonald, old Scottish preacher's big influence on C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, he's got this great quote, you know, where he's kind of in mock dialogue and he'll say, he says, you know, all right, now what if, you know, why, if, if God knows everything that I need, if he knows better than I do, you know, what is good for me, why should I pray in the first place? To which I respond, what if God knows that prayer is the thing you need most? Um, and goodness, man, that has just stuck with me uh, for years, ever since I first came across that quote. Um, you know, what if that time of intentional focus and and, um, and and offering up to God is precisely what I need in order to remind myself, like you said, being reminded that um, you know, God can handle it and will handle it. I, I must learn to trust. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely huge. JD, what about you? Yeah, just like reflecting on that. I remember having a conversation like with someone at lectureship and then also just thinking about like our teens and stuff and this idea of like total reliance on God through and showing that like through like our prayer and study. And you also think of Colossians 3, like setting your mind like on things above with Christ. And like that is like a huge theme throughout the chapter, yet we find ourselves not find ourselves not always like doing that. And I was having a conversation with someone at lectureship and we were we were we were talking about like 
prayer and and how our ministry is outside of the actual acts of things like that we're doing like how how are you in a sense how are you taking care of yourself and I, I always tell people like I can notice the difference in the days when I start out the day in prayer in scripture and in, in, in devoting that time to God and the difference between those days and the days where I'm not doing that and then you look back in the next day when you do do it and you ask yourself the question well why would I ever stop doing this and so finding that time um, to pray and, and have that trust and reliance and take that back like everything that we've learned take that and bringing it back maybe just in that because um, like with like with Luke kind of what he said like there's a lot of things that I might not ever be able to truly bring into class or bring into my teaching and be like, hey, look at this little nugget of information that I was able to pull from this class at lectureship. I might not be able to do that, especially with talking to, to teenagers. It can, it can be a little bit harder than if talking to adults. Um, but I can be faithful with the information that I have been given and and, and use that in my own personal life and and when your own personal life is affected by the gospel and affected by the love of Christ, then that is going to in turn infect or affect like your ministry. And so, yeah, definitely leaning into that stuff. Uh, I would say the biggest takeaway that I would have from lectureship is seeing all of these different models of study and, and people like treating the text like faithfully and diving into it from all these different avenues. Cause I, I noticed like our need in our youth group and I, I, this is true probably across the board, um, but we have our kids who don't quite understand what is church? What do we believe these certain things? But I also have my teens that want to dive into text deeper and they want to, um, grow in their knowledge of scripture and so seeing all these different models of study and and faithfully dealing with the text like taking those models and being able to apply them to my own study so i can meet the needs of these kids who might not understand well what is church who is god who is jesus what does it mean to be a follower of jesus but also use that study to bless the kids who know all these things at least know them better than some of my other kids, but also want to take it a step further and say, well, what does this text actually mean? What is, what is this actually diving into? And having seen people do it faithfully at lectureship, bringing that back here and try and do it faithfully myself to, to then bless our teens. Um, as far as just getting a nugget of information from a class, might never see the light of day but the, the principles are there uh, and the groundwork is there to be able to come and, and bless my ministry in that way. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I, well, I, and we could probably say this is another benefit of going you know, to the lectureship in the first place. Takeaway that I have is that you know, my work matters. You know, my, my work as a, as a minister matters um, because I had the opportunity to to go and use those skills that 
I've uh, very graciously been given and, uh, and and bless others. You know, with us three sessions on Colossians, and um, that was that was incredibly meaningful uh, to see your know, old friends in there, um, like you know Luke and uh, Luke and Justin, um, to see uh, to see you in there, JD. So colleagues in there to see uh, other other people that I've partnered with in various various ways, people that I have uh, looked up to for well over a decade. Goodness. Um, you know, Paul Pollard was in one of those sessions. Uh, Devin Swindle was in one of those sessions. Um, you know, and, and for all of us to be in there together, like, it, you know, what I'm doing, what any speaker is doing really matters. It really matters. And that's that's really affirming. Um, when we're feeling isolated in our ministry, we can begin to question and wonder, you know, does what I do on a day-to-day -day basis actually matter? And going to something like lectureship is a really forceful reminder. Yeah, it absolutely does matter. Uh, along similar lines, too, and I, I didn't pose this question in order to set up a commercial for Regnum Media, but that's what we're going to have right now. <laughs> it's a commercial for, for Regnum. Um, Luke, how many times were we talking with somebody and uh, they would either ask us, you know, hey, when are you coming out with material on this book or that book? Or, um, you know, like I, I walked a, I walked a retired professor from the Bible building into the student center and said, "Hey, look, you know, you need to check out this book right here that Luke wrote on Ecclesiastes because I think this is doing much the same kind of stuff that you're saying that we need to offer our churches." It was incredibly cool to have a number of people come up and ask us about when is you know a book on this or that topic or this or that book of the Bible going to come out because that is precisely why uh, Luke you pitched this item, idea to me in the first place a couple of years ago so there's a real need for material like this to get out and into the hands of ministers who are in the trenches and it was so incredibly affirming to see you know, old, old friends be excited, not just to see you, but excited about you know, what um, what we're in the process of offering. So that was really cool. Now, Luke, you want to you want to have any final comments on on Regnum before we wrap up? Yeah, I would just say it was interesting because if you remember a year ago, it was that lectureship that we announced this in any mm -hmm. sort of real way. Like, hey, this is something we're going to do. It's something that's coming. And people were excited about it, but it was also kind of like a, okay, like that sounds that sounds good, but you know, but there was there was there was no tangible product, and so in the intervening year, we've released two books. Um, the book that you were just holding up on Ecclesiastes came out in March, and then uh, a book that we just released on baptism, assembly, and the Lord's Supper. John David has um, that one right here for those. John who David are has that one, yeah, by uh, yep. John Mark Hicks, which came out just a couple weeks ago. Um, and so it was, it was nice now because we're on the other side of this. And so there are a lot of people who are like, Hey, I've, I got your book. It was really good. I'm preaching through it, or it's been helpful for, you know, our church and what else do you have coming out? Um, and of course we work in partnership with the center for Christian studies and, mm -hmm. uh, they, they had a table at lectureship and it, they were just swarmed by people. I mean, yeah. just all over the place. Uh, we, we, we were actually struggling. We, we kept trying to like meet during the week and we just couldn't do it because <laughs> there was no break in the traffic that they were seeing. So that's good. And, and I, I just, like you said, it was really affirming because 
if you've been in, if you've been on the side of trying to find adult class material where you can something that's good that is also teachable and you can hand it off to someone, if you've been in those situations, like you know that there's just not a lot of that material. And so I think a lot of people are seeing like, hey, this is something that's good, that's trustworthy, and that can be really useful in our in our church ministries. Um, and also, it's like it's just it, we're trying to format all these things where they're useful in Bible class settings, but also just for personal. Uh, individual reading and discipleship and so um so yeah it's like like you said it's very affirming and excited about the future and having more and more resources that we can use to hopefully bless churches yeah one final plug there for the center for christian studies uh run by keith stanglin and uh todd hall is a big part of that as well those guys do a lot of great work with the video curriculum on you know church history and ethics and uh, things like that um keith actually came to cloverdale church of christ sunday of lectureship right and did a whole big session on um you know on, on a biblical view of sexuality god's intention for human sexuality uh i i saw the flyer that went out for that looked like a fascinating uh series of lectures you were able to go to several of those right luke i did uh yeah keith did a great job and um really just uh i would say I mean, he, he got down in the weeds and talked about specific issues, but also really just trying to out lay out um, a healthy, like kind of biblical theology of sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, sometimes we've been pretty good at knowing like certain verses that are relevant to the topic at hand, but we don't really have necessarily a a healthy the theological view of like what what is what is sexuality from God's perspective um and so keith really uh, there, there's a, a video curriculum course um on the center for christian studies website that uh churches can can purchase and use and then also he, he's available to come around and travel and do seminars like he did for us but just really helpful i think to establish kind of a positive vision for what god is intending from the beginning mm -hmm. as a baseline as a foundation and then from there you can go and, and engage some of these other uh, you know, like challenging and very culturally relevant issues. But sometimes we do that. We do the second thing without first establishing kind of the the biblical foundation. And um, I think that gets us on the wrong foot. So all that to say, Keith did a really good job for us. And uh, that's some of the stuff that CCS does. Um, they also put out a journal, a, a lot of um, good resources for, uh, you know, pre preachers, ministers, Bible teachers, who want to be uh, theologically well-informed. Yeah, yeah. Another good reason to go to lectureship, you get exposure to all this kind of stuff that's happening, a lot of neat things that uh, are available uh, just out and about, and lectureship is a good place to find those. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate y'all uh, tuning in. And um, there's a couple of other exciting things coming up on Faith in the Folds. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for that, and we will see you all next time. Bye-bye.